All right, things are a little fast-paced here. But fast-paced isn't always bad. Like Nico said, uh, going after that 100% gives us access to more. So yeah, I just encourage you guys, if you're feeling that tug on your heart to go after that 100%, because uh, I can attest that there's more. And you got to keep keep in your heart the, oh, God, I need you. I cannot do it last night. Last night, whew, y'all, I've had a busy weekend. I'm, st- I'm still running. You hear my, I'm out of breath now. I'm just telling Miko, I, coming up here, I forgot to print the message. It's just been busy. But last night, I, as I was finishing up this, I'm just like, God, I need you. I can't finish this without you. I can't have the energy to sustain all the stuff that's going on in my life. My life is crazy right now. There's no way I can do it without, apart from him. So I just want to start off with that. Whew. Let's all take a collective deep breath together. I feel like we all, I need it. Let's, let's just take a deep breath. Okay, everybody, fill up your lungs and let it go. One more. More of you, God. Breathe out. Less of me. One more time. Breathe in your spirit. Breathe out me. Okay. Father, thank you for meeting us here today. I pray that you bless the words that I have to speak, Father, that your spirit would be on them, that they would be words of life and encouragement, Father, that it would find a place to land in the hearts of the people here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, the fruit we're going after is faithfulness, (laughs) which is a really great fruit. (laughs) They're all great. Faithfulness is kind of like a bedrock fruit, though. I was trying, I meant to research. I'm no gardener. I, I kind of make things die. <laughs> I have a hard time keeping a garden together. But anyway, faithfulness, it's like a seed that takes a long time to grow. But once it gets those roots down, it's there oftentimes. It's the only fruit of the Spirit that's time-dependent for Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Well, I'm keeping out faithfulness. But all of those fruits, you can turn and do, you can change your heart. I'm not walking in those fruits, and you can plant those fruits and walk in that day one and do it. Faithfulness, I can say I'm faithful today, but that means nothing. It means nothing. You, it's the only fruit that you have to walk out you have to keep doing it. And again, it's, it's, I don't know a fruit or vegetable that does this. I'm sure there are. A seed that's in the ground and you think it's dead. And you're like, I'm not, it's not, nothing's happening. But then once it roots up, once it sprouts up, it's there. That's kind of what faithfulness is. It takes a long time to prove. I was getting consistency plus intentionality equals faithfulness. So showing, you know, okay, I'm going to show up every Sunday and do this. I'm going to show up every Sunday and do this. And when I come, I'm going to come, and every Sunday when I come, that's step one, every Sunday when I come, I'm going to be going after what the Lord has on that Sunday, next Sunday. I'm going to come on this Sunday, and I'm going to go after what God has on this Sunday. Consistency plus intentionality, okay? 
The outline of biblical usage of the word faithfulness is conviction of the truth, truth of anything, belief in the New Testament of a conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, generally with the included idea of trust and holy fervor, born of faith and joined with it. Okay, so then, you know, I'm like, okay, what's faith? Let me just get a refresher of faith. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the NASB. I'm going to read it in NIV as well. Now Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So it's a trust walk, right? It's kind of a blind walk. I'm, I'm believing in faith that you're over here. I don't see the bridge, but in faith, I'm going to walk it. That's faith. <laughs> Confident convi- conviction of things hoped for and assurance about what we do not see produces trust, assurance, and holy fervor. I think, did I write down? Another definition of faithfulness in the biblical usage is the character of one who can be relied on. Again, you can't, I can say I'm reliable. I can meet a stranger and say, I'm reliable. You call me anytime. You, you, you come to me for anything, advice. Talk's cheap, right? What happens when they call you and you're like, I don't want to talk to them. Hang up the phone. Like, oh, maybe they're busy. Call again, no answer. What have you done? You've said one thing and done another, showing you to be not faithful. I want to jump to Matthew 5.33. I'm going to be reading it out of the NASB. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of, is of evil. But shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. That's a promise, a vow. When you get married, you're making a promise. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to love you through the ups and downs, all these things. You're making a promise. Again, it does no good if you say that on your wedding day and the next day you're like, hey, you look good over here. You're not my husband, but hey, you know, that it, your words are invalidated. Your vow is invalidated. I like this, but I say to you, make no oath at all. Like, if you can't do, again, it's like I said it last week, if you can't say it with your chest, don't say it with your mouth. If you can't say and have that conviction, that integrity, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say where I'm going to be and what I'm going to do, and I'm going to fulfill that, I'm going to do that and show myself faithful, if you can't do that, then don't say it. And that's okay. I don't, don't get it twisted. I don't want, like, it would be foolish of me if someone were to come up to me. Actually, I have a good example. That's true in my life right now. I'm putting photography, I'm retiring my photography. Okay, I love it. There's no time. So it's not, I'm not gonna make a vow, I'm not gonna make a promise to be faithful 
when I can't do it. That would be dishonest of me. I wouldn't be shown to be faithful or having integrity. If I'm like, oh, yeah, I can still do photos. Actually, let me look at my calendar. I have no time. I'm looking at my calendar now and saying, I don't have time. Okay. All right, so we're going to jump still in Matthew 5. We're actually going to kind of reverse and go to uh, verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. That's a promise. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Throughout the Bible, you see, you see the faithfulness of God. He will say something, and you see him do it. He'll say something, and he'll do it, right? Over and over and over again. So I really appreciate kind of this, I mean, there's many summaries, of course, but truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. It's a promise, another promise. We're going to spend most of our time in Job. And I love Job. It used to really freak me out as a kid. Because uh, I was like, oh, what did he do? Like, just some people just have a terrible life and just what's bad luck. And I don't want to be like Job. He got everything taken away. You know, it was really scary to me until I read it as an adult. And I was like, this is great. <laughs> so I'm just going to start reading from uh from the beginning, okay? Buckle up. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned, and curse God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So just in those first five verses, Job himself is shown to be faithful, blameless, and upright, and obviously very blessed. He has all, all these animals, livestock, He has children that, you know, they gather, they have these feasts. He's a faithful man, okay? Chapter 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And again, that struck me. Even God is like, this is a good man. This is a man after my heart. He's doing the right things. He's righteous. He's upright. Verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands. 
so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Excuse me. This reminds me of Satan uh, tempting the Lord. You know, he has this like seemingly in- innocent question. Does not your hand reach Job? Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. I have to pause here. I always see this as like a cartoon, like someone coming in the door and saying the thing, and then as a next person, it's like this. people just keep lining up and saying the news. I think it's funny, at least. Okay, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the uh, Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking... Yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And that's what broke his heart. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. That's so profound. And had he not had that bedrock of being faithful and his trust being rooted in the, in the Lord, that would have, um, that may have shaken him up more. He may have been quicker to be like, screw you. <laughs> Uh, can I say that? <laughs> I just realized it was coming out of my mouth. I, I questioned it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, in that case, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but Job stayed faithful through the calamity. I, I think it's also interesting it's reflected in our lives a lot of times, too, like the um, level of importance of things. Like the livestock, he, you know, he didn't, he didn't say anything until the children. So the livestock, he's like, ah, that's a bummer, but okay, maybe I can breed some more, you know, with uh, what was the other things? The, uh, yeah. But with his children, that's what broke him. And that is, like I said, I feel like that's reflected in, in our lives. We, you know, if something happens, if we lose, if our phone breaks, like that's kind of in that outer rim of things, you know, and then, you know, oh, um, my kid broke his arm. Okay, yeah, that's a little closer. Oh, my kid died. That's real close, right? So that's sort of that um, visual Like I said, I kind of see it like circles, like rings, like the things that are least important. And that's not bad. I think that's how we're built. I think that's how we're wired, that the things that we love and care about, and scratch that, the people we love and care about, we hold those things near. And I think, like I said, I think that's how we're wired. 
But for me, reading this again, it was a reminder. I tell my kids this all the time. Everything has a beginning and an end. Everything except for Jesus. And I go, sometimes that middle part is really long. Sometimes it's really short. But I tell them all the time, everything has a beginning and an end. And, an end. and so reading this, I'm like, it's a reminder that it's Jesus and nothing else. It's kind of a side note, but it's people will leave, people will die, people will hurt you, but I know someone who won't. So everything in our life has to be submitted under that. It's Jesus and everything else. That's, that's that inner, imagine the circles, it's you and Jesus. You and Jesus. Not that the other rings don't matter, but at the end of the day, it's Jesus. That's it. So in Job's life, because God had been faithful to him and he, he walked in a way that was faithful and just, right? That allowed him to keep that faithfulness or walk in that faithfulness even though he got hurt. And that's the way we need to be too. It's, again, just, just like I said, we're going to get hurt by people. We're going to get let down by people. That's okay. That means you're human. Congratulations. But just because we know we're going to get hurt, or we think we know how we're going to get hurt, doesn't mean that we stop being faithful or we stop trying to be faithful. Jesus' faithfulness marks ours. Are we faithful to a thousand generations? <laughs> I don't know. I want to be. That's, that's the way I want to go. But I was thinking, um, you know, there's sometimes these comedy things where um, a comedian will act like they're uh, someone, like a historical figure coming into modern days, and they're like, the girls are wearing what, you know, and you're listening to what music, and this isn't like my day in 1700, you know. I wish I had a more specific example, but what I'm trying to say is the people, let's say someone born in 1700, if they had the eyes to look at, we'll just say 100, 100 generations later, would they, would they still... Um, have good favor, uh, would they still want their grandchildren's 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 to succeed? And even, even with the way, the different ways of dress, even with the different ways of music and speech, that's kind of how I was thinking about it. Like, to be faithful and to be, uh, to have that goodwill towards my grandchildren, my grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren, to be faithful, to pray for them, for that, the people you don't see in your family. That's being faithful. It's like I said before, it's planting seeds in a garden you will not see. None of us in this room are going to see our grandchildren's grandchildren. I can't say it, but like three, three or four, four, I'll say five generations, okay? Five, five or six. I mean, there's some people, but mo the grand majority of us are not going to. We need to be praying for that which we don't see. So going back to Job, he's complaining as it goes on, you know, he said, naked I come, naked I leave. And then uh, I really, 
it happens again where the devil comes. I'm not going to go into it because it's, it's the same conversation between God and Satan. And Satan goes after him, gives, sends him with uh, boils and painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Um, <laughs> I like this. His wife, who, who was the only close person that didn't get taken from him, said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. She's like, you need to give up. Your life has really gone down the, <laughs> the pot here. Um, and he replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this Job did not sin in what he said. And I do think Job is it. It's a, a lesson story. I don't think Satan and God are having conversations all the time saying, you know, Satan's like, how about Miko? He's upright. <laughs> Personally, I just don't. But <laughs> so again, this is an example, right? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. His friends came. Have you ever had someone who has gone through something traumatic or really um, hard, like child dying or um, something really heavy? And sometimes we don't know what to say, but I feel like Job's friends give a good example of what we should do. Verse 11, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. That's a good friend. So after those seven days, seven nights, Job speaks, and that's, that's when he, he's feeling anger, as, you know, I'd be feeling pretty angry, too. May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said a boy is born. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. Goes on and on, complaining how terrible. Again, to remember, Job did not sin in what he said, but he did complain. Then his friends start speaking, and in the past, I think I saw the friends as being ill-advised or something. But upon reading it again, I want to start with uh, chapter 5. Call if you will, but who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. I myself have seen a fool taking root, but suddenly his house was cursed. His children are far from safety, crushed in court without a defender. The hungry consume his harvest, taking it even among thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Yet a man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Okay, so then uh, verse 8, they say, But if I were you, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. This is a true, that's true, right? We should bring our uh, prayers and, and uh, petitions to the Lord. But the friends are implying, and again, this is before Jesus. If you, do, if you did something, you must have done something wrong. 
to have all this happen to you. So you've got to go and say, I, you know, appeal, appeal to him. So they go back and forth. Job complaining, the friends trying to speak sense and, and grounding to him. And I, I liked, um, you know, like I said, the friends, and this is how it is in friendships too sometimes. You, you may go trying to give good advice, and sometimes the friend doesn't need to hear the advice, right? So <laughs> this friend is talking, Billy, Billad, I don't know, Bildad. And as I'm reading, I'm like, a lot of this stuff is, again, he's saying, oh, you you're must be wrong. You're, you, you've done something to deserve all of this. But in the middle of it, he says some, like, really good stuff. So skip to Job 8, uh, ver, or chap, ooh, verse 8. Ask the former generation and find out what their ancestors learned. For we were born only yesterday and know nothing. And our days on earth are by, but a shadow. Will they not instruct you and tell you? Will they not bring forth words from their understanding? To me, I was reading that and I was reminded of faithfulness. It's that praying for the generations ahead that you can't see that know something. Because they've lived something. They've gone through something. I just love that idea of generationally thinking. I learned a lot of my faithfulness or my uh, values on faithfulness from my dad and my mom. Watching and seeing, they said what they did, they did what they said over and over and over and over and over again all my life. And their parents are both very faithful too. They saw it, they got taught, and they, they said what they did, they did what they said over and over and over and over and over and over. So I love this. I love that he's speaking a little truth here. Ask the other generations. Learn something so we can move forward. Learn how to be faithful. Learn how to trust in the Lord. At the end of chapter 8. Oh, sorry. No. I, chapter 9, 34. Let me skip right here. Again, they're still going back and forth. So uh, verse, chapter 9, verse 33, and this is Job. If only there were someone to arbitrate between us to lay his hand upon us both, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Who's that? Who's that lady? I just thought that was cool that he's, there's that acknowledgement. Oh, God, my God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Even though it's like it's this cry of his heart didn't know Jesus yet, but he's like, if only there was a mediator who understand that he, that he understood that he needed a way to get to God, to get in right standing. He understood that he alone was not good enough. Even though he did nothing to deserve all the, all the tragedy that happened in his life, he did nothing to deserve that, but he could recognize that he could not get back in right standing without a mediator. So this conversation goes on for like 20 chapters. <laughs> so I'm going to skip on to the end here um, where Elihu, the son of Barthel, I don't know. But anyway, a, a person who had been, sit, had been listening to this back and forth, listening. And he, he goes, let's see, chapter 32, verse 6. 
Uh, I am young in years and you are old. That is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak, advanced years should teach wisdom. It is this, but it is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty, that gives them the understanding. It is not only the old who are wise, not only the aged who understand that it's what is right. Therefore I say, listen to me, I too will tell you what I know. I waited while you spoke. I listened to your reasoning while you were searching for words. I gave you my full attention. But not one of you has proved Job wrong. None of you have answered his arguments. So in all that convincing, the, the friends trying to convince him, oh, you've done wrong, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. Job saying, I, I'm, you know, cursed the day of my birth, all of this. It occurred to me, faithfulness is not void of complaining, right? It's not, it's, but it's not void of complaining that deters your intention. Job's intention was still to be faithful to God. Job's intention was still to be to get in a relationship. If only there's a mediator, I need to get back to you. I'm away from you. I feel the distance. Where are you? And I know we like to complain. I like to complain a lot. But our complaining should not be in a vacuum. We've got to, we got to say, you know what? This week has been hard. I'm in a really tough situation, but I, my intention is to keep going back to God. My intention is to go after Jesus. My intention is to go towards, go in faith. I don't see the path. I don't see wh- exactly how I'm supposed to go, but I see you over there, so I'm going to in faith walk out. And that was Job. The whole time, he's, he's in anguish. He shaved his head. He's you know, sprinkling whatever on his body. (laughs) Yeah. But he never veered from his intentions. So skipping to Job 42.1. Oh, sorry, back up, Job 38. God, at that point, the friend spoke, and then God was like, were you there when I laid the earth's foundation? Do you know how to even move God's hand? Do you know how to, you know, he's, he's basically saying, like, I am God and you are not. <laughs> so Job listens to that, of course. And then Job 42.1 is kind of the ending here of, of the story. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So he's still doing, he's like, what I've done, please, I repent. Let's get back in right standing. After the Lord had said these things to Job, uh, he said to Ephlaz the Termonite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. After Job was saying, curse the day of my birth. God's like, my servant Job has spoken what's right. It was okay to feel those things, Okay. Chapter 8, so now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job, I love that, it's like my son Job, my baby Job, will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. 
You have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Elphaz, the Terminite, and Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, all the friends, did what the Lord told him, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer because Job continued to walk in that faithfulness. God could still use him. Verse 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and cons uh, consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys, and he also had seven sons and three daughters, because remember, the wife didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> after this job lived 140 years he saw his children and their children to the fourth generation and so he died old and full of years that's powerful again faithfulness is the long game it's it's something that you can only see walk out. The story of Job makes no sense if he's, if he's not keeping that intention and going back to Jesus, going back to God, but you know, you get what I'm saying, going back. And so I was thinking, you know, with faithfulness being a long-term fruit to grow, with that being said, it's never too late to start. Although you will plant it today, you may not see the fruit in the bloom tomorrow. Like, you're not going to. You got to walk that out. You got to really tend that. You got to be intentional. You have to be consistent. But it's never too late to start that process and say, I don't, I've been shown to be unfaithful and flaky, and I don't want to be. It's never too late. And again, Job, what happened through his, through his life, at least in, that's shown here in the book, is that a calamity would happen and Job shows up. He gives his, uh, you know, his speech, he's talking to his friends. A calamity happens, Job shows up. He shows up complaining, but he shows up. He didn't say, well, I'm done, I'm done with God, bye. He showed up. He kept trying Lord, if only there was a mediator, I want to get back in right standing with you. He showed up. That's part of faithfulness. You have to show up. Again, you can't just say, I'm going to show up. You have to show up all the way. It's faithfulness is choosing to show up again and again and again and again, no matter what. No matter what calamity comes. Your oxen die. Show up. <laughs> Your kids die, show up. Your kid is living in a way that you don't want, show up. Your spouse is acting in a way you don't like, show up. Show up complaining, show up mad, show up. Because when you show up, when you show that you are, you want to be in right standing, you want your that, that's the way that you're trying to walk in, God honors that. 
Can I have the ministry team come up? <laughs> if you feel during this message that there is a place in you, a part of your life that you are not walking in faithfulness or in trust, I want you to come on up. If there's a place that you're, you're like, I, you know, I can trust you in every other area of my life, but not this area. You're, I haven't, you haven't proven yourself faithful. If you're feeling that, there, that there's a void there, I just encourage you to come on up. I'm going to pray here. So, Father, thank you for all the hearts here today. Father, I pray for you, or I thank you for your faithfulness that you show up again and again and again and again and again and again and again. You never give up. No matter the stupid things we do, the stupid things we say, the, the way that we treat others, you show up. You've proven yourself faithful over and over and over again through generations through generations. Father, help us to plant that seed of faithfulness in us that we too can walk in a way that is upright and just and honoring. I pray for the ways that we haven't, we haven't shown ourselves faithful, that we haven't walked in integrity. I repent of that. Father, I repent for the ways that I haven't. Fill those parts of our hearts, Father. Show us the way. Show us how to be faithful. Give us, put people in our lives that can help us practice be faithful. Give us the stamina to walk in that, that we can let our yes be yes and our no be no, that we can walk in faithfulness, do what we say, say what we do, that we can walk the walk and talk the talk, right? So, Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.